Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Don't worry, just two more sermons. <laughs> We're getting there, right? Light at the end of the tunnel. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Paul, after describing to the Galatians how they are in a warfare, a battle between the flesh and the spirit, he gives us another image of what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. He gives us an image of what it really means to be walking in the spirit wherewith we are living. Most people have this idea that walking in the spirit must be some type of exciting show, this type of warfare that you see imaged in our minds of some type of climactic battle. But in reality, as we saw last week, walking in the Spirit and battling with the flesh is not always, as it were, in the emotional highs, but it's in the concrete moments of daily life. So let us begin reading in verse 6 and read through verse 9. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap ever life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Amen. The apostle here moves from discussing in the very beginning of this chapter basically what we do with our time of discipling one another, caring for one another, looking out for one another, as we saw last week how he talked about if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, those that are not overtaken should restore such an one in the spirit of weakness. We are to bear one another burdens and we have this image of taking time out one for another caring for one another, loving one another, uh, making those extra special efforts to see how our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing, calling, talking. Uh, and I know that's hard in a sense because we think it discusses how we use our time. Here it's interesting because he transitions from time to now our resources. Somebody one time said uh, when a preacher talked about financial resources. Preacher, you've went from preaching to meddling. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. One thing I love about the Bible, and specifically in preaching expositorily, when I get to a section of Scripture, it's not my fault. God inspired it that way, right? <laughs> take it up with the author. <laughs> the author is the one to take it up with. Well, I've said before, if you want to know where a person's heart truly is, there's two places to look, and that is to look at their calendar, the first five verses, 
or here in verses 6 through 10, which we will be just discussing verses 6 through 9 today, and then 10 next week, Lord willing, how that works out into everyday life with other people. But specifically here, as he looks at sowing and reaping, as it is in the church of God and the ministry of God. Martin Luther said this in his commentary on Galatians, that a preacher that preaches on this text may be accused of covetousness. <laughs> I hope that is not that way this morning. Amen? Verse 6, Let him that is taught in word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. He gives this first central principle, a command here. He moves from discussing how they are to go about with their time in taking care of one another as a church body to then immediately going into another principle about how the Spirit of God works out in our life, how the Spirit of God is manifest in an individual's life. You see, a person that is filled with the Spirit of God is not just somebody that's overtaken in this type of overwhelming emotional high to where they're crying out to where they are screaming. And that happens at times when tears flow down your face. Last week, as we were all touched with the scripture that we were reading, we saw how we can be emotionally pulled into the word of God and feel his spirit in our hearts and that emotional high that we feel. But sometimes we see a person that's filled with the spirit of God, maybe quiet, maybe non-expressive, but going about the master's service. You see, the Spirit of God can fill an individual, and we may think that they're not very spiritual. But the Spirit can move like the wind. It can move like a hurricane, as that old uh, classic rock song says, rock you like a hurricane. Sometimes it can rock you like that. But then sometimes it can come with a gentle breeze. It can come just very gently, as it were. It can come in a way that you don't expect it. And the Spirit works out in our lives in this fashion as it how we use our time and equally how we use our resources. And here when he says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This word communicate gives the idea of a mutual partaker of somebody that is equally giving to somebody else in a, a manner of resources or even in financial resources. Paul would praise the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4. And he uses this same word. Now ye, Philippians in verse 15, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He uses this word communication in reference to financial remuneration. Now, we have to place this in context to know that Paul says, whether I am poor or whether I am rich. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. As he says in verse 12 and verse 13, as he says, everything that I've endured, I know that I can endure it through Christ. But then he praises the church here at Philippi by saying, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. He said, in my affliction, in my poverty, you did communicate your financial resources. So he praises them that here in his affliction, they communicated to him now, we must understand that Paul often would work with his hands as a tent maker. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. It depended on the situation. And I am one that have always had a 
full-time employment. I'm a bivocational pastor, as it were. Right now, I've been looking for employment for various social work agencies, and none of them seem to really like me. You know, it's funny, when I first started pursuing this career, they said, well, you'll get a job easy because you're a male, and there's no male social workers. Well, I have proved that stereotype wrong because they don't <laughs> can't find a place. But, you know, I am not above working, and no pastor is. No man should ever go into this business looking for some type of ability to make wages himself. Yet, the Word of God is still explicit in the commands. You see, there's a balance here that we must find as a church body and as the ministry to know that a man is not out to do it for the money. Woe is to me if I preach not the gospel. Yet a church is equally to have a heart of giving which shows a manifestation of being overwhelmed with the Spirit of God. Obviously, a church that is smaller cannot do as much as a church that is larger. The church at Philippi seemed to have the ability to do so. And other churches, such as we saw referenced at the beginning of the book of Galatians, the poor saints, which has reference to this, those at Jerusalem that were persecuted, couldn't give as much. And the churches from surrounding areas would pour their abilities into them to help. But yet this command is still given. I want us to see a little bit before we get into the warning, the analogy, and the exhortation found in verses eight, nine, and, uh, 7, 8, and 9 to see the balance here. First, why does a church give? Why does a church give and communicate to those that teach? And that word teacheth comes from a word which we get our English word catechism. So it gives the idea of instruction and teaching catechism, to teach an individual. Verbal teaching, him that is taught, him that is being taught verbally by the teachers must communicate in all good things as he is being taught. Well, first, the reason this is important is why. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to see an instance in the very first beginning of the church to where you have in those days the apostles gathered around. They're the main teachers in the assembly. They're those who are caring for the ministry of the word. They're the ones that are praying for the saints. But there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. And so here at this moment... It says the Grecians began to murmur against the Hebrews. Now, both the Grecians and the Hebrews in context were both Jews. Both of them were Jews in context. But you had cultural Grecians that were Jews. Jews that were from far off that were raised in a Greek-type area. And then you had the Jewish Hebrews, those that were raised in a Hebrew atmosphere. Both were probably Jews because the door had not yet opened up to the Gentiles as we see Cornelius coming in. Yet... You have some segregation that's going on there. Well, they call the twelve together. They begin to send out looking for this first century type, prototype, as it were, of the deacon to where they're going to have some people filled with the Holy Ghost there and wisdom who they may appoint to the business of what? The business that was being murmured about the daily ministration, being taken of the daily ins and outs of the church. And why is it that they were trying to find somebody else to take care of these daily business? The daily business. What is this? In verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, 
whom we may appoint over this business. Then in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice that this is giving this initial onset saying, you know, you're not pay, you know, th people think we pay a preacher because he preaches. In actuality, the reason that the church body tries to free a minister's hands is not because he preaches, but so he can do it, you see. So he can, they are in essence doing this on the onset so that his hands and his time may be free. Now, luckily, I have more energy than a cat on caffeine, right? So when I have to work a lot, I can stay up at night and study. It doesn't bother me one bit. And God has blessed me with more than I will ever need. And so I'm not saying this because I need it. I have way more. But it's still a biblical truth that we must examine. Regardless of what we have in our mentality on the onset, this is what the Bible prescribes. And he says that they are needing to give their time specifically to prayer and ministry of the Word. Both are so important. Without the ministry of the Word, there isn't feeding for the sheep. There isn't that uh, ordinary way in which God feeds us and exhorts us, commands us, and takes care of us as His sheep. But at the same time, prayer is another part of this dynamic in which he does not have time to pray. Is the ministry of the Word really going to be effective as it should? Sobering thought. You know, sometimes ministry is not as blessed as it could be. And I've seen this in multiple men, whether it's my dad or other men, to where you can think, well, that brother must have not had much time to spend studying that week, right? Now, I got energy to do it. I'll stay up at night doing it. I'll go run at the track and listen to Bible as I run. And you know me, I can talk. So you give me a microphone, I'll talk for hours. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long I've studied. But some men don't have that ability. And so they spend 60, 70 hours working during the week. And then what happens? The ministry of the Word suffers on Sunday. And God can bless. God can bless regardless. But we're going to see... The ordinary way in which he does is he's going to give. Now, equally, equally, what happens? The pastor is not there trying to find some type of freedom to do what he wants. He's not seeking it out as Simon did in the book of Acts as he wanted the gifts of the Holy Ghost so that he himself could be rich too. A minister isn't doing that. He's not a hireling, as John chapter 10 says. But what does 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10 tell us? Or saith he it altogether for our sake, speaking of the Old Testament command about how the ox is taken care of in the field and, or in the, um, where he is actually treading the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? The answer to that is yes, but how does he take care of oxen from with the area in which he is treading? He says, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should partake of his hope. Notice the mentality of the minister. He's doing it in hope. He's not doing it because he wants remuneration, financial uh, gain, but what he is doing, he's doing it in hope for blessings that may be poured out upon the assembly. This is why Paul would equally say, Woe to me if I preach not the gospel. And I will tell you this, I would preach if I had to pay to do it. <laughs> And I've had to do that before. There, uh, Rebecca and I always laugh. There was this one church that um, we went to three years in a row, and it wasn't in this state, 
and you've never been there, so you can never know if, you'll never know, even if I told you the name of it, you wouldn't know. But we went one year by invitation and came home. It was a decent drive, and I was working uh, somewhere between 60 to 70 hours a week with the state of Mississippi, and I drove there, and if if you've never done state work, they say you don't work there for the money, right? (laughs) You work there for the freedom. And so I drive there, and I drive back, and you know, I told Rebecca, you know, we'll have to tighten the belt this week because gas wasn't even paid for it. Didn't give anything. Well, you know what? They invited me back next year. You know what I did? I'm not going for the money, so I went there again to preach. This is a church that needed preaching, so I went there again. And I drove back. Had to tighten my belt that week, too. <laughs> and I was invited back the third year in a row. And, I, you know, I was working a lot. And I asked Rebecca if she wanted to go with me. She didn't want to. Really, because... She'd been struggling with the kids all week, but she wanted to spend the day with me, so she went. You know, God rewards in different ways very often. We're there, and I didn't expect anything. I don't go expecting anything except for God's blessing. But after church is over, Levi wasn't too old. This was over an hour's drive, and we get there. And at the end of the services, we eat lunch and we go back in the sanctuary. And that's a long day for a young family, by the way. And we sit down and this older lady comes and picks up my oldest son. He had a perfectly round head at that point. You know, he looked like Charlie Brown, God bless him. We always said he had a perfect circumference, you know, a perfect strike of a bowling ball. You know, and he, looked, he was so, such a handsome little boy before he could talk. And this older lady came and picked him up, put him in, his, in her lap and started crying. This was probably the first time she had saw a child in their church in years. I get in the van, Rebecca's crying. I'm like, oh, what happened? Because you know, people can say mean things, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking, what happened? And she said, you know, I didn't really want to come today. It was such a long drive. We had such a long week. You've been working so much. And I knew we'd be paying for it ourselves to go. But seeing that moment made every sacrifice worth it. You see, a minister plows in hope for those spiritual blessings. Plows in hope that the congregation will have their heart cultivated to where they will spiritually grow to the point to where they are taking care of their time and their finances in a way that is glorifying to God. The minister plows in hope regardless of what is given. If he has to pay to do it, he will preach. Just so happens that year they did give us gas money. <laughs> so, so that was also a blessing. But it was just interesting that three years in a row and That last year, I didn't want to go, but I went anyway, but I plowed in. What is my point with this? I was plowing in hope. And you see, both congregation is freeing the hands of a minister. They are plowing in hope in a sense. That the minister, not because necessarily of what he has done, but what they are wanting to allow his hands to do, so that he can give himself to prayer and ministry of the word, and then equally the minister is not showing up with stipulation saying, I will only come for this dollar amount, but is coming there with a burden on his heart to preach the word of God regardless of the circumstances, plowing in hope. Both are here. You see, that's a balanced view. 
It's not making it some commercial enterprise to where we're going up making a career out of this. But it's equally not neglecting the ministry of the word through lack of communication. So going back to Galatians, we see this command, let him that is taught, the person being taught in the word, communicate that they're going to be partaking equally of the same unto him that teacheth in all good things. And then Paul then mentions the warning, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Paul grabs onto, in verse 7, this general principle or law, and this is what's called deduction, when you take a general principle, a law, and apply it to a specific individual circumstance. It's when you take something that we know this is a truth and therefore in this circumstance it will equally be true. He says, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's not karma. It's the natural law that God has set into effect. And it's interesting when he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. There's two cool words here, if I could use it in that expression. I don't know how else to say it. Be not deceived. That word deceived comes from the Greek word in which we get our word planet from. Why is this important? You see, deception is a lot like a planet is in the sky. It's wandering aimlessly in darkness, right? Now, I understand, I understand, and we know that the planets aren't just wandering in the sky. They're on an axis, right? And they're spinning around the sun. But from their own point of view as first century believers... You would look up at a night sky and see the stars static and stationary. They're not moving. They stay even when the earth moves in that same basic format. Yet, the planets are moving. They're wandering in darkness. And this word deceive has the same connotation that when a person is deceived, they're in essence wandering in darkness. They're wandering around like the planets do. They're just going around, always changing. So he says, be not like that. Don't think in this fashion. Don't go away from your standing firm in Christ. And he says, for this reason, God is not mocked. The word mocked has this connotation of putting one's nose up in the air in derision or arrogance. I imagine this when I was uh, reading the definitions for these words this past week. It almost looks like a high school kid, you know, when he's bucking up against somebody else and he says, what are you going to do? He's mocking the other individual in arrogance. He's putting his nose up and snorting at somebody. And he looks and says, don't be wandering in darkness, but know that God will not let somebody do that to him. God's not going to have somebody buck up against him. But in actuality, what a person sows, equally that is what a person reaps. Now, general principle can be applied in any fashion. It can be applied on a large scale. If I sow love to my wife, Lord willing, I'll reap happiness at home, right? <laughs> if, if you ever study of the interesting marriage between Martin Luther and his wife, uh, what he called my Lord Katie, <laughs> she was a strong-willed woman. I've always laughed that um, you have this man, this fire-breathing dragon of the Reformation, this individual who scared the Catholic Church itself, this individual who literally started a revolution 
was tamed by a hard-willed woman. <laughs> he called her my Lord Katie. And he understood that if he wanted happiness and home, then he would sow love to her. You see, this is a general principle. I'm not going to expect to sow apples and reap corn. It's a general principle. You're not going to expect to sow in one field and thus reap in another. And praise be unto God, ultimately we reap of everlasting life in eternity because of the sowing of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we didn't deserve that. We didn't sow that. That is solely by God's grace that we inherit that as His free gift to dead individuals given life in Him. But on a general principle, even though sometimes God blesses us with what we don't deserve, generally in life, through deduction, this general law tells us that we're not going to very often have a beautiful crop. We're not going to reap if we are equally not sowing. Now, from my own perspective as a minister, I can tell you that I have typically, God can bless otherwise, but I've never really reaped a good sermon when I haven't sowed that much during the week. <laughs> now, God's blessed in spite of me. God is blessed in spite of me. But God commands His ministers to study and pray, and when I haven't studied and pray, I'm not going to necessarily reap as I should. Equally, when the congregation isn't pouring their soul out to God in prayer for their pastor. When a congregation isn't pouring their heart in humility and contrition out to God, saying, Lord, bless this man. He's not much to look at. <laughs> he's not really much to listen to. He's, he's not really that friendly. His sermons can be dry, but Lord, bless him in spite of himself. You see, this idea of partaking communicating, even this general principle goes past even financial remuneration. It goes even into the general theme of discipleship. Time goes further into this to where, what is it? If we're not preparing our hearts for worship at 12 o'clock on Sunday for the very next Sunday, we're probably not going to reap as we could have otherwise. Now, again, I know, I know God can bless us in spite of ourselves, and we often do. But it's like the analogy that I gave y'all once. It was that time we were driving to Mount Olive Church in Lolly, Alabama, and we're there, and we have 50 cyclists in front of us, and I can see my dad start to twitch. And to quote Joe Nettles, don't let the devil steal your cookie. <laughs> we can let him do that. When we're not cultivating and sowing Every day as we're preparing for worship, we're not going to see that reaping as we would like. On Sunday morning, I, I, you know, it's, I've been amazed at this. You have people on Saturdays, uh, for instance, a group of people that you would think, I've often thought if aliens were real, 
and, and you know all those shows of ancient aliens if they flew down on a Saturday down south and they saw all these people putting on the same colors and and, and putting on the same hats and getting everything together and you know they, they, they prepared all week they bought the right types of drinks they got their cooler full uh, full they've got everything together uh, they wake up early to find just that right parking spot now you see millions of people going into this one arena I bet that alien would be walking in thinking wow I wonder what they're worshiping and all and you know what it pays off because I've been to a few games you know I've enjoyed it myself <laughs> I love Saturdays down south and you know you get what you pay for in that sense and the emphasis you put into it you're reaping what you're sowing but imagine if you applied that mentality of sowing and reaping to the church as you're thinking through the week, what is a song that I specifically want to call out on Sunday to sing? A song prepared from our heart. What if you're thinking, I'm going to get there at 1015 because I want to prepare my heart mentally to, to, to the fellowship of the saints. And I, I, I'm preparing my heart. I have the right colors on. I've woke up early. I'm ready. I'm ready to reap, Lord. Think about how different the experience of worshiping God would be of sowing and reaping. I'll tell you, I've been to NASCAR races. I've been to um, Alabama football games. I've been to Ole Miss football games. Y'all may remember this. I've been to XFL football games. <laughs> I've, I've been to uh, George Strait concerts at Legion Field. I have been to stuff I'm not going to admit in front of a congregation <laughs> in my younger years. And it is sobering to think of the effort that I put into one. And I've categorized at times my Savior to a spot I'm rushing to, to a spot that I'm rushing back away. And then I wonder, Lord, why have I not felt you like I should? He says in verse 8, for... He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. This idea of the word corruption means destruction through corruption. In other words, it's not just that you are decaying, but it's this corruption is destroying us in a sense. And he says, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, this is not to say that we are trying to work our way to heaven and if we sow wrongfully then we will die and be cast out of God's grace that's not what this is saying you see salvation as the Apostle Paul has dictated throughout the book of Galatians is solely by justification found in Christ amen nothing else nothing plus no substitute solely by the grace of God are we saved and apart from him there is no salvation Yet here when he says, he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap everlasting life, he's speaking of in a temporal sense. He's not speaking of in eternity, but he's speaking of now. What I sow to will be what I reap from. And if I sow to the flesh, I'm not going to be able to avoid the consequences of that action. Now, we're all given the freedom of choice, right? We celebrated... July 4th this past week and I went and the cheap dad I bought really cheap bottle rockets buy one get one free and all that stuff we're celebrating freedom right 
nothing like Americans to make a celebration. We, we're shooting off fireworks. Don't know if they're fireworks or an SKS. You know, we don't know what's going on, but it's getting shot off. And we're having a great time. You know, and we're given the freedom of choice, but we're not given liberty from consequences. And you see, this is the idea. He's saying, when you do so, know that there is consequence to actions. And when you do reap, you will reap of what you have sown. Now, when he says you'll reap of the Spirit, life everlasting, he's not saying through your sowing to the Spirit that you will reap heaven and immortal glory. But he's qualifying the kind of blessing that you are going to reap now. One of the most beautiful things about the New Testament kingdom is the type of blessing that we reap, though it can waver at times, and the blessing that we have of seeing Christ more vividly may be more pronounced at some times or another, the quality that you experience as a believer in Jesus Christ is heavenly in origin. So in two ways that we see that we reap of life everlasting, first, the quality that you experience is heavenly. It's something you can't get here. Now, I've had happy moments. I've had moments where, you know, I may thought something was a spiritual moment. You know, it'll make hair stick up on the back of your neck, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily spiritual. The only spiritual enjoyment that we're going to have is through our Savior and through the means in which that He has commanded us to approach Him. Now, I can listen to songs and really just feel good about it, but if I'm not approaching God according to the standard He's given us, it's going to be short-lived. So when He says we, of the Spirit, reap everlasting life, for, first, it is the quality that you are enjoying. It's the quality that you enjoy. What you're reaping is of heavenly origin. That's a blessing to know, isn't it? That though God is in heaven, He's on the right hand of God, He ever liveth to make intercession for us, He is our atonement standing as a testimony that we are justified before God, yet we can equally experience Him now. As I've said before, God is not just transcendent, but He is immediate. He's not just way out there as other deities and other religions are portrayed as some type of clockmaster that wound it up and stepped back. God is not just a sovereign God, which He is, but He is a personal God, in which as you sit here today, you can experience heavenly blessings. As you sit in your most trying times, in sickness and in death, in frustration, in chaos, as we saw this past week, you can still experience the quality of heaven. And not only is it something that we can experience the quality of, but it's equally something that we can experience as it were the quantity of. You see, the blessings that I enjoy now, that I sow and reap now, there are certain things, hidden pleasures that we all have. Um, you know, we all have certain non-sinful hidden pleasures. Things that are just us, right? You know, we, we, we may like uh, going to the beach. That's a hidden pleasure, right? Uh, we may like a certain TV show, a certain food, hidden pleasures that are just us. 
when we get in the van, <laughs> forgive me, I was hoping nobody hears us when we pull up into the church house, but we get into the van and we're Winslet's and the first thing my boys say is, turn on classic rock, daddy. <laughs> I know we shouldn't listen to some of that, but we still do on occasion. And so it's blaring as we're making our way to church and that's a hidden pleasure. You know, one day most of the hidden pleasures I have in this world are going to end. They're going to be burnt up. Every atom that we see is going to be split like a nuclear bomb, and it is going to break into a fiery furnace and be eaten up at God's judgment. Yet what we enjoy in Christ now, what you enjoy through the preaching of the Word, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you enjoy through Him that teacheth, you're going to enjoy for eternity. It's just a small glimpse. Same in quality and in quantity. We're going to enjoy it forever. But you see, he says, we will reap of life everlasting. We can enjoy, as it were, heaven on earth. Or as Jesus said in John chapter 10, we can enjoy not just life, but life more abundantly. The abundant life found in Christ. And he gives this final exhortation in verse 9. Honestly, sometimes I read Paul and I would almost be negative after I read what he writes. There's a tendency of my own heart to kind of examine it, to kind of to scrutinize myself. Because if I just read, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. In my own mind, I would probably begin to have some doubting as I know that my sowing has not been what it was. But Paul doesn't use it to condemn. He uses it here to turn it around for an encouragement. He doesn't use it to say, you bunch of sinners, you're sowing to the flesh. But what he does is say, because we know God is a faithful God. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For the first eight verses of this chapter, Paul has used pronouns that described other people. He says, man and he, man and he, to describe individuals. Now in verse 9, he turns it to a first-person plural pronoun. Paul turns around and says, and let not you be weary in well-doing, but let us. I can envision that Paul was probably somewhat frustrated. He had helped start some of these churches. He had preached to these churches. He had made um, trips to these churches, and yet now they went by the wayside, and Paul himself needs to be reminded of this principle that let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. He's reminding not only them, but himself as a minister that let not just you, but all of us not be weary, which means to be faint-hearted, to give up. Can you imagine a farmer who is plowing in his fields and he's continually going and he's moving and moving and moving, trying to find that moment in which he will reap of what he has sowed, and yet it's day in, day out, the plants have not come to fruition. What if he just gave up one day and said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not doing it anymore, it, has, it hasn't happened it hasn't reached its full potential. I haven't seen it. And today, 
it, we live in immediate gratification culture to where anything you want, you have at your tip. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can have it the next day, right? <laughs> you can get whatever you want at any moment. Go down to Walmart, go down to Publix, you got Fred's, you got Dollar General. You know, I swear if they ever finally get to Mars, the first thing you're going to see is an Alexander Shannara sign and a Dollar General. <laughs> How did they get there first? But, you know, you get anything you want at any moment. And the idea of waiting for reaping seems so contrary and foreign to us as, a, as people who have anything we ever need. Yet Paul shows us the reality of falling by the wayside and being faint-hearted and forgetting that we will one day reap if we continue. When that word due season, he's referencing there not only in an appointed time in which God has set that you would reap, but equally in the time in which you're sowing. So this tells us two things. One that this is not something that's going to happen in eternity. Now, it's true that we will reap of the benefits of Christ's sowing in eternity, but that's from His sowing, right? When do we reap what we've sown? In this present age. And so when He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, He said, God has set an appointed time, and the time in which you are sowing, if you faint not, you will reap. Consider the saints of old as we begin to close. You have multiple people throughout the Old Testament, such as Abraham, who was called out of a country to go, and he was told the same message, through you I will bless many nations. You will have an innumerable seed. Did he ever see that happen? Same thing to Isaac. Same promise reestablished. Same thing to the patriarchs. You have multiple times where even in Isaiah chapter 40 where he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, that your warfare is accomplished. Did they actually see them being brought? Did Isaiah see the children of Israel being brought out of the land of Babylon? He didn't. So we can get discouraged and think, I'm not seeing what I'm sowing for coming to fruition. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. As a general principle of law, God has shown that this is how it works, but going past the general principle and going into the faithfulness of God, we can rest assured that God will not leave us fruitless. If he's made a promise, he will keep that promise to you. As you faithfully continue to pray for the church, you that are of older years, I want to give you, give you some encouragement in this aspect. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, as you see the pivotal prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel that give a chronology from the time of leaving Babylon till the coming of Jesus Christ and him crucified in the middle of the 70th week, there at the beginning, we see Daniel, who is probably in his 80s, studying the Word of God and praying. Why was he doing that? Sometimes I see people that get to a certain age and they say, I've wore out my usefulness. You have not. If you can pray, if you can invest your time and energy and prayer and study of the Word for your worthless pastor, 
you are of vital importance. Because it takes that sowing. If we are ever going to see continued reaping, we must not be faint of heart. But know that God is faithful. I'd like to close with the 126th Psalm. 126th Psalm. This is a song of degrees. This is, as it were, when they are coming out of captivity of Zion. They're coming out of captivity, possibly written by Ezra. It's written as a scene of them coming out of Babylon. They're trying to rebuild the nation. They're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to rebuild Jerusalem. And he's given exhortation here. You could give a full exposition just on these six verses for weeks. And he finally, at the end of saying, The Lord hath done great things for us, in verse 3, Wherefore we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Rebuilding Jerusalem didn't happen in a day, did it? And the psalm writer acknowledges this by saying, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, that means without doubt, come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Those that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Know that God is faithful. I've seen him faithful to you in your life. I've seen him faithful to me in my life. Let us not be faint-hearted. Let us continue to put in effort to the ministry of the Word as he has commanded the church to, to, com to commemorate our time, our resources, into the preaching of God's Word, focusing it, knowing that though we don't see increase at the moment, those that sow in tears will one day reap. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your kindness that you've bestowed upon us through your word. Help us, Lord, to not be faint-hearted, but continue to sow. Lord, knowing that you are faithful and that we will one day reap, and if not for ourselves, then for our children and for our children's children. Lord, gracious God, let us not fall by the wayside, but continue to persevere in your work. Lord, though we get weary, let us not get tired of the work. Bless us with a mentality that focuses not just on the present, but on the future in which you will allow us to reap and bear precious fruit. In Christ's name, and amen.